exciting. And um, and I to be in the tank and then for to do that and then for all of you just to, to clap. I actually thought we we're going to have an African moment here. <laughs> well, maybe you're going to stand up and you're all going to start to dance and clap and shout and uh, almost. It was almost. It was fantastic. We'll get there. We'll get there. That's actually Kansas' secret prayer. Um, yeah. Well, as we journey through the book of Mark, and we're certainly not doing it lightning speed, we're, we're going through very slowly, but it's, it's good stuff. And so the, today we come to that part of, uh, of Jesus being challenged of why his disciples are not fasting. And I've entitled my message, Jesus Doesn't Fit Into a Box. And as I thought about this, <clears throat> I thought about how there have been times where I've gone out and I've purchased something, and I've gotten it home, I've taken it out of the box, I've looked at it, I've maybe tried to make the thing work, or whatever the case may be, and then I come to the conclusion that I actually don't want this thing anymore. <clears throat> so you know what has to happen? It has to go back into that box. And try as I might, I don't know if I've ever done it, <clears throat> to get something back into the box the way that originally came, but I have tried to fold, to twist, to manipulate, to put into the box in a certain way that when I close that box up, it looks like it just came from the store, but it doesn't. It bulges out, and sometimes I can't even get the thing closed, and I am convinced that there is some engineer somewhere in the world who, when he creates the, the, the schematics of how to put something into a box and how you're going to package this thing, he is laughing the whole way, thinking somebody is going to unpack this and try to pack it, and it's not going to go. So I sheepishly take this thing back to the store, and uh, it's almost, almost looks like it came out of the, or it's brand new, but it's not. And I sheepishly take it back, and I give it to them, and I say, I tried to put this back into the box, but this is the best I can do. And they smile at me, and graciously, they take it back. Here's the thing, is that once Jesus came to the earth, there was no way that you're going to fit God back into the box of Judaism. There's just no way you're going to fit him back into that box. He doesn't fit there. Yet, as we read the entire Old Testament and into the New Testament, there is a theme that runs through the entire Bible. And that theme is redemption. And God has been about redemption from the very get-go of man sinning. And it's all about redemption. And it's really all about the story of Jesus Christ and the redemption that he brings and what will come one day with a new heaven and a new earth. But who God was and how he operated, as far as Judaism, it was not going to be the same. So, comes this challenge to Jesus about his disciples. And in the time of Jesus, there were three pillars that as a Jew, you would make sure that you followed. And here are the three pillars. The first pillar is the pillar of prayer. If you were a good Jewish person, you would pray. Now, doesn't that sound familiar? If you're a good Christian person, do you not pray? So prayer was one. The second one is, is giving, alms, tithes, offerings. 
And if you were a good Jewish person, you would be giving your tithes and your offerings to the church. You would be helping the poor and the needy, the widows and the orphans. That's what you would do. The third pillar was fasting. You fasted. As a Jewish person, you fasted. And so with that, that's what is happening here. If you'll notice, it didn't say it was the Pharisees. It really says that it was a group of people. These are just probably ordinary Jewish people, and they're coming and they're saying, why aren't your disciples fasting like John the Baptist's disciples and like the Pharisees? Why are your disciples not fasting? That's the question. Well, because there was, three, there was these four different times that, that they fasted, and the one fast was the Day of Atonement, and there will always be fasting at the Day of Atonement. That was all the way through the Old Testament and into this time for sure. There were three other fasts that took place during this time, and, and it was most likely the Pharisees or the disciples of the Pharisees would do these other three fasts. And that was a lament fasting. That was fasting for like uh, the destruction of, of, the, of the temple in 586. And that time would come, and, uh, and, the, and the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the religious leaders, and the, those that were disciples or followers of those religious leaders, they would also fast. And then a time of crisis would come, and there would be fasting here. So if a war broke out or a famine broke out, then, then you would see people fasting during that time. And then the last would be kind of a self-improvement or personal reasons for fasting. So this was the groundwork that we have when, when, when Jesus is challenged, why aren't your disciples fasting? So Jesus answers, right? And so he answers with three illustrations, kind of fascinating illustrations. The first one he answers, he says, um, he says, now does a bridegroom... I'll read it. It says, can the wedding guests fast while the bridegroom is with them? So here we have this point of uh, Jesus is saying, uh, here we've got this wedding that's going on. And what happens at a wedding? You celebrate, don't you? I mean, we all enjoy a wedding, at least I do. I enjoy a wedding. And, uh, and I've, been, uh, I've been part of one significant one. Uh, that was when Raina and I got married. And, uh, and not to say the others aren't significant that I've been part of. They all have been significant. But that was the most significant one for me. Uh, but I have been, I've stood, uh, stood in a wedding party for, for weddings. I have obviously officiated a lot of weddings. And, um, and they are an exciting time. They are a time where we are rejoicing. We don't, we don't usually go to weddings and mourn um, when we go to weddings. Now, maybe if somebody's getting married and maybe you wanted to marry that person, you may be a little bit mournful when they're getting married. But more than likely, you go to celebrate when you are there. And, and so Jesus is saying, listen, I'm the bridegroom. He's saying, God is here. He is present. And would you mourn if God was in your presence? You would celebrate. It's a time to rejoice. 
And so he sets the stage for for who he is. He sets the stage to say that something is changing here. There is something that is changing. Jesus isn't against fasting because we have on the Sermon on the Mount, he talks about fasting in the Sermon on the Mount. So he's not against fasting, but he's saying that there's a time and place for fasting. And right now, I am with the disciples. The Messiah has come, and this isn't the time for fasting. You know, what also is interesting is what it says there. He says, as long as they have the bridegroom with them, they cannot fast. The day will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them. Most of the time when I've been at weddings and the wedding comes to, the the reception comes to an end, the bride and groom get in a car and they head off. Nobody takes the bridegroom. We'd be shocked if the bridegroom was taken, would we not? So there's something going on here when it comes to what Jesus is saying because he's pointed out and he's saying, I am the bridegroom, but I'm going to be taken away. I'm going to be taken away from the, my presence is going to be taken away here. But right now, I am here. Right now is a day to celebrate. Right now is a day to rejoice. So we come to baptism, and, uh, and I'm glad nobody, you know, you could have wept today, but your weeping would have been out of joy, would it not? Your weeping would have been, yes, this is a good thing. And Jesus is saying, this is a good thing. I am with the disciples. I, God is present here. And today is not the day to fast. There's a time and a place for it, but today is not the day to fast. So Jesus now gives a couple of lessons. So he sets the stage and says, my disciples aren't fasting because God is with them. There's no need to fast. But then he sets the stage and he says, let me give you a little sewing lesson. And how many people sew here? Okay, so you who sew can really relate to this, okay? I don't sew. I've tried to mend. I've tried to stitch, and it's pretty hilarious. Um, And, uh, but here he says, you don't take a new piece of cloth and put it on old material." and thinking that that is going to patch it. It's good until you wash it. And then once you wash it, what happens is is it's going to shrink, and it's going to make a mess. It's going to be worse than it was before. So you're going to take what is old, and you're going to try to put something new on it, and it's going to be worse than what it was before. That's going to create a big problem. You would be better to toss out the old and just create something brand new. So that's a sewing lesson. And then he goes into making wine. And maybe some of you here make wine. Um, Do I dare ask you to raise your hand in a Baptist church? Oh, man. Okay. So you would understand this. Maybe for those who don't sew, you don't understand this, but definitely back in the time, people would have understood about making wine. They would have understood the principle that he's talking about. And I don't think that when he's talking about sewing or he's talking about winemaking that they're going, oh man, I I didn't realize that. They understood this perfectly of what he was saying. And so he is saying to the audience, you know what happens when you make wine. 
There's something that grows. There's a chemical reaction, and there's, there's fermentation that takes place. And if you don't do it right, it's going to burst. When I was in Bible school, uh, we had a guy on uh, floor one, and he decided that he was going to make root beer. Root beer. <laughs> okay. And um, he didn't tell anybody about it. He got all the ingredients, and he, he, uh, he started making his root beer, and he put it in his closet, and he was making root beer, and it started to do its fermentation. And, uh, and, and then one day, he come and comes back from uh, his classes, and he goes into his room, and the bottles had burst in his closet with his clothes. And, uh, and if you've ever done that before, it, it had this real yeasty smell to it. It was permeating out of the hall and going all over the place. And I can tell you that, uh, that the deans were not happy and everybody on his floor was not happy because of the smell that it created. And, uh, and, and, and his clothes were, well, they weren't ruined, but he definitely had to wash everything. Fermentation causes expansion. And Jesus is making another point here. He is saying that you can't take old wineskins and put something new in it because it's going to burst. It's actually going to destroy both the wine and the wineskin. So here is a framework that Jesus is, is setting forth. He's setting the ground, ground layer, the foundation for something. He's building on it. And it's here that, that uh, following God doesn't necessarily fit into a box. You know, today we are faced with a lot of changes, are we not? As a church, we're faced with all kinds of changes. Um, the, probably the biggest change that we've gone through as we went through COVID was we started to go online. And there are people, hello, there are people that are watching right now from home. There are people that are watching. Some people watch us before they even come here. And maybe you're there today. You're online. You're watching. You haven't been here before. And before you ever come, you kind of watch a few messages to go, I wonder what this church is like. That's a change. COVID brought that about. And so when we look at changes, for some personalities, you sit here today and change is not easy for you. You don't like change. It doesn't matter how old you are, change is not something you like. Others of you, it's like, man, can it not change fast enough? And then the older we get, it doesn't really matter too much as what your personality are. The older you get, the, more, the harder it is for us to actually make change. We don't necessarily like change. It's not easy for us. So change over the years has, in church, has gone on. I mean, if we look at what we have here today, first of all, um, I wouldn't be speaking from a, mic, from a music stand, right? I'd have a pulpit here. And I certainly wouldn't be standing up here without at least a collared shirt on and a tie, right? And I wouldn't be, running my, I wouldn't be wearing my, my runners. That wouldn't happen either. We actually probably wouldn't have these instruments up here either. Where'd the, where'd the piano go? Where'd the organ go, for heaven's sakes? And then 
the music. Oh, man, the music. What happened to the hymns? So we've gone through change, and, and, and church will constantly go through change. It'll constantly go through change of styles, and that's going to challenge us as a church. I remember there was a gentleman at um, a church that I was pastoring, and we were going through the music change, and he came to me, and he said to me, um, listen, hymns are what you need to sing. You need to sing hymns. And uh, I said, well, I'm not certain if that's going to happen every Sunday. And he says, no, he says, hymns are biblical. And I said, well, can you, do, can you tell me what that means for you? Are you telling me that the only music that God approves of is hymns? And he says, yep, that's pretty much it. And I said, well, okay. Um, I'm kind of thinking about what we wear, especially us men. We won't talk about the women, but what we'll, we'll talk about what us men wear. And I'm thinking about, well, what does God approve? What dress, what type of dress would God approve? And I said to him, I think really, if we're going to go there, then next Sunday, we need to make sure that all of us men are wearing what Jesus wore. Are you in for that? <laughs> and the conversation stopped. So, the question is, is that what Jesus was talking about? There's been a lot of messages that have been preached about the old wineskin and about how the old, you know, what's old and then what's new and we've got to make changes. We've talked about how a church, you know, very traditional church versus uh, an attractional church. And if you're really going to do church right, you've got to be attractional. That's the, the traditional church is the old wineskin, and the attractional church, that's the new wine. It's got to be put in new wineskin. But I don't believe that that's what Jesus was talking about. Tradition, sure. But what I believe that he was talking about was that my coming was going to, be a, was going to bring some radical changes to the way that you interact with God. Radical changes. Because you're no longer going to have to go to the temple to meet with God. You're going to be able to be in his presence right where you are. Those are radical changes. And, he, and, and that the temple was not where you needed to go, but instead to be in his presence. Jesus, in Luke 9, 23 through 27, he said that this radical change, the ra following him was radical because you were going to deny yourself. You're going to pick up your cross and you're going to follow him daily. Today, you are going to deny yourself. Today, you are going to follow him. Today, you are going to say, not me, not my life, but yours, Jesus. That's what it means to follow him. You know, what's interesting is that it's really not that much different. If you were to turn to Deuteronomy chapter 7, and you were to read verses 1 through 9, and what he asked the Israelites to do when you go into the promised land, it was a radical way of living. Don't get caught up in the idols. Don't marry someone who's going to cause you to, to, uh, to follow their religion. Don't eat the food that they eat. 
It was a radical way of living in that time. And it hasn't changed. Jesus came to be the sacrificial lamb. Jesus now is the mediator. Jesus now says that you, because of him, we can enter the Holy of Holies. It's hard for us to grasp hold of that because we're so far removed from the temple time and going into the temple and sacrificing a lamb or sacrificing a dove or, or whatever we needed to do to atone for our sins. We're so far removed of that that we have a hard time grasping it because we've lived so long in this age. But this was radical what he was bringing. Maybe what we take for granted today they certainly didn't take for granted. You and I can go to God right now. You can stop listening to me and you can pray to God and he's going to answer you right now. In your car, in your home, wherever you're at. You can enter into the presence of God. That is a radical change. And and so God was saying, Jesus was saying, listen, this radical new way of me and you, you can't live in the old ways. You have to live in the new way. And that is me. So Jesus is calling them to set down their old ways. Look in your Bible. I think this is important. Matthew 13. Matthew 13. Jesus gives these two parables. The parable of the hidden treasure. He says, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure in a field, a man, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all he has and buys the field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of pearls, who on finding one pearl, great value, went and sold all he had and bought it. Here's the radical part of this life with Christ. Is that do you see that what he has given us is so abundant, is so good, that that's the only thing you and I want. Like I'm getting rid of everything to obtain this one thing, and it is Christ and Christ alone. I'm willing to get rid of everything. I'm selling. I'm, it's a wholesale. I'm selling everything. This, this man who found this treasure went and sold everything. He didn't keep anything. He sold everything it had, he says. All of it, everything, his whole possession. He sold out so he could have this one treasure. And he says, that's what the kingdom of heaven is all about. That's radical. That's different. And I think that that the life that we call the church to, we struggle to live in that. Because what I want to do is I want to try to bring some of the old with me. 
I want to try to put some of this new, new wine in old wineskins. I want to take some of this old life, and I want to live in this old life. And it doesn't work. Have you ever found that? It doesn't work. It's a, it's a wholesale. It's all everything. If we want to understand the kingdom of God, it's a, it's a wholesale. You're getting rid of everything. And you're saying, God, I, I don't want to take anything of the old into the new. And Jesus says, it doesn't work. It bursts. It rips. It tears. And as I think about the church, I think that we have been focused more on what and how we do church instead of focusing on what and how we follow Jesus. It's been more about what we're doing here than what he is doing in here. And it really doesn't matter because in another 10 years, this is all going to start looking different again. It's what happens in here that makes a difference. So when I hear Stephen talk, what brought him to the Lord? It wasn't because he went to church. It's because he encountered people who were encountering Jesus. He encountered people who said, my life is all about him. No, we're not perfect, but there's something that draws people to Jesus when we live that way. You know, Barry, as he was talking about you, I could tell that's not, it wasn't easy for you to hear. And it's never easy for any of us to hear. But man, my heart goes, yes, Barry. I want to know this man. No, he's not perfect. But there's something about him that drew Stephen to Jesus. And it was Jesus in him. Do you see? So this, this isn't about what we do in church, about whether we're singing hymns or not, whether we're online or not. This is about the radical life we live in Christ. That's what this is about. And that life that he says, don't bring, don't bring the old, don't bring your old life into it. It won't work. And that's the fight that we have. So let me, um, let me wrap this up here. <clears throat> so how do, we, how do we get there? Like, how do you and I get to a place where we can live this radical life for him? And I think it's actually stopping and pausing and saying, what does my life actually look like? Actually coming to a point that I'm willing to evaluate the things I do and how I live and what is influencing me. And is God influencing more in these, more, uh, is God influencing more, in, let me slow down. <laughs> is God influencing me more in these areas than the world itself? Am I willing to look? Because I, I remember when I was uh, uh, in Bible school, we had a guy that came and spoke, and he said, you know, we're told to give our life to Christ. And he says, would you know a life if it, if it ran around and bit you on the leg? 
I don't know a life, but I do know sections of my life. I know things like my relationship with God. I know my marriage needs to be, I need to evaluate my marriage. I need to evaluate my friendships. I need to evaluate how I'm parenting or what it looks like uh, to, to, be a, to be a kid or to be a parent or a child. I need to evaluate in these areas. And so I have on a sheet an opportunity to evaluate. And I've got uh, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine areas. You might cross something out and put something else on. So you can see some of them up there. Um, singleness or marriage, friendship, parent or child relationship. Um, you know, as, a, as, a, as an adult child, how do I relate to my parents? Sometimes that's not easy. Um, my body. So I'm looking, I'm asking the question, how does this area of my life look like or not look like Jesus? And I just invite you to write that down, to just evaluate, and to say, actually, my relationship with God right now, man, it's going good. Like, it really reflects what he's asked me to do. I'm spending time with him, I'm enjoying him. But work, I love to work. Or I don't really work too hard. Your rest, your playtime, your money, and the last is technology. It's not up there. And so I would inc- I, I'm going I'm to give us, there'll be four weeks that we're going to go through a worksheet. If we're really at a point of going, you know what, God, I want to make changes in my life. I don't want to have the old in my life, then I would encourage you to pick up one of these sheets and to start working your way through. I'll keep adding to it so that we can walk through this together and say, you know what, I'm willing and I want to be different. You see, you're going to follow something. Everybody follows something. Everybody is committed to something. Everybody is influenced by something. So the question is, is what is influencing you? What are you committed to? What are you following? And if we're not intentional about it, then it's much easier for us to find that we've actually begun to mix things in our walk with God. Where he says it's, it's wholesale. You get rid of everything to follow me. And then I'll show you what relationships look like. I'll show you what it looks like with your money. I'll show you what it looks like with your work. I'll show you what it looks like in every aspect of your life. So I encourage you, I encourage us as a church to walk through this because this is what he has called us to do. Let me pray. Lord Jesus, uh, what an exciting time today to have witnessed you're working in a person's life. And as Stephen has given his story, there are 100 people here who have other stories. And Lord, you, you meet us where we are. And I pray, God, that we would pause and allow your spirit to cause us to evaluate our lives 
And to celebrate, Lord, where we can see that that portion of our life is sold out for you. A God, where we would pause and say, this portion of my life is not sold out for you. Lord, as we walk through this as a church, I pray, Father, as I have prayed often, that we would be transformed into your image for the sake of others. So I pray for your working in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.